This is Radio Free Hillsdale, 101.7 FM. I'm Scott Bertram, and with me today is State Representative Andrew Fink from the 58th District, representing Branch and Hillsdale Counties. State Representative Andrew Fink, thanks so much for joining us. Thank you, Scott. Good morning. We have a number of things to discuss this morning. First of all, happy holidays, Merry Christmas, Happy New Year, all those things. We haven't talked since uh, since the end of, de- end of December. Yeah, we're here for a new semester at Hillsdale. It's good. And usual uh, State Representative Andrew Fink interviewer Josh Barker, who has uh, had the job for a while, is on whip this year, or this term. So he's in Washington, D.C., and so we'll, we'll manage without him for a little while here. But uh, I wanted to talk, first of all, about a, a comment that Congresswoman Alyssa Slotkin made uh, the other day on Meet the Press, the Sunday morning interview show, interviewed by Chuck Todd. Chuck Todd was asking, will Congress approve even more money for uh, COVID relief and to help people through this Omicron wave? And Alyssa Slotkin called out the Michigan State Senate specifically, but clearly the House can be thrown into that matter. Uh, the state has a good deal of money sitting there, A, because of the previous bills from federal government giving Michigan billions of dollars, and receipts were much higher than people anticipated during COVID. So there are, I mean, estimates, 15 billion, 20 billion, somewhere in that range. Alyssa Slotkin says, uh, move, get off your duff, get that money out so we can pay more for subs in our schools, so we can get more folks, nurses and doctors. I don't know we need another package because the money we've spent hasn't been used already on the ground. So Congresswoman Slotkin says, get that shovel, start pushing it out. What's the response? Well, it's interesting she's calling out the Senate. I mean, I, I do, we did adopt a, uh, a an appropriations package in the House in December that I think has not yet passed the Senate. Uh, but, I mean, there's only been however many session days between December and today. I mean, like four or five days probably. So... I don't know that it's it's definitely an indication that there's a particular holdup. It 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 seems like a pretty normal uh, pace for the pro- process to me. You know that package has some things in it that I do think are really worthwhile. It uh, includes a, a large amount of support for uh, law enforcement in uh, a variety of dimensions, recruiting, marketing, um, and in increasing the availability of school resource officers across the state. So, I mean, that's a package that I voted for. I want it. I want that to move forward, but I don't know that there's some kind of a, of a crisis uh, with it or anything else. I mean, it is true that we still have billions of dollars that have been appropriated to Michigan by the federal government. I certainly don't know of a need to adopt new spending in Washington on these dimensions, uh, but they have already spent that money. I expect that the state will continue to try to figure out how to appropriate it wisely, but um, I know I don't know exactly what she has in mind uh, that she could call shovel ready or whatever. I mean, I think we've learned uh, the hard way that that doesn't really exist, and you have to be deliberate and thoughtful about how you're going to appropriate funds like this, especially large amounts. I mean, I've been critical over the years of uh, politicians, including our governor, who have thought that you know the way to say fix the roads is to just dump a bunch of money into it in one construction season. That doesn't do anything except make the same amount of roads more expensive. So I, I don't I don't favor kind of. Uh, a knee-jerk uh, idea that you get you have to just spend it as soon as you have it that doesn't make any sense. And this is difficult in a way because this this is not an ongoing surplus. It's a essentially likely a one-time thing due to the incre- again increased receipts due to the funding from Washington. And so, what you fund if it's an ongoing uh, project or a- ongoing uh, something that's going to have to be funded annually into the future, then there's got to be a revenue source for for that. Let me ask this direct question after that comment, I guess. 
Uh, if this money isn't spent in six months and 12 months, the money from the federal government, clearly the money that, that from the receipts can sit there as long as, as, as the state wants it yeah. to, can the money from the federal government also sort of wait until the state is ready to spend it? Yeah, I mean, I, I know that that I, I can't remember now what what the dates are. And, you know, there's a couple of different federal appropriations that we're talking about. Um, but I know that our our appropriations chair, I'm, I'm no longer on the appropriations committee, which might be part of why I can't remember the dates. But I know our appropriations chair, like he knows, you know, off, off the top of his head, what the dates are by which money has to be appropriated. Um, I, I think that that could mean kind of in some cases, I know that like our municipal uh, governments in this area who've gotten federal funds have to have a plan by April or something, but that doesn't mean they have to have the money spent by then. So, I mean, there's different stages at which you kind of have to still be on track uh, for, for this federal appropriation, federally appropriated dollars. Um, but yeah, that is a distinction between the money that the state generates itself in a normal year through normal revenue sources, uh, which just belongs to the state uh, and this this federally appropriated money. Absolutely, it's it's critical that we not treat this like a new revenue source that we can rely on year by year. And so, I mean, good, you know, there are there are ways you can responsibly spend money that you're not going to replace every year. If you fix bridges, and that was a, a part of the uh, uh, appropriations negotiations last year, if you fix bridges, you know, in a given year, you you don't need to put the same amount of money into bridges the following year. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you if right if you if you fix a bunch of bridges ideas that you don't have to do it the next year right so that's a good use of it um some of the uh some of the school money probably has been helpful for maintenance and things like that i mean you walk into a a school building in an area like ours you can see right away that there are things that they could do that that cost money today that you don't have to spend money on uh again next year a roof or a furnace or whatever um, so there are ways to, to do it responsibly but it is critical that we that we take that approach and not act like this is a new normal State Representative Andrew Fink is with us here on Radio Free Hillsdale 101.7 FM from the 58th District. That's Branch in Hillsdale counties. The State of the State address is around the corner, and the Detroit Free Press with a front-page story saying it appears that Governor Gretchen Whitmer will uh, appeal to the House and the Senate to push through a, a pension tax repeal is the phrase that was used. Tell us first about what this tax is, who it hits, and eliminating it seems to be a um, seem would seem to be a fairly bipartisan, agreeable idea. So I, I actually uh, this is not a, a policy area I've worked on, so I don't have the intimate details that some people probably do. Uh, but the way I think we the, the the situation is that these are pensions uh, of public employees, which. Um, in some cases, I think there's an argument that their collective bargaining agreements indicated that they're, you know, that we're, we're, we're based on the idea that their pensions would not be subject to an income tax. And I, if I remember correctly, although I, I'm not even sure I was in the state, I might have been on active duty of the Marines when this happened. At some point, there was a uh, negotiation in the Snyder years, yes. you know, yes. where, which made these pensions subject to tax. Uh I mean, I, I do think that it's important to, to point out it's not a pension tax. It's just a question of whether the income tax will Applies. apply to this Correct. income. And in, in general, you know, in general, I favor and I, and I think other conservatives favor and certainly groups like the Mackinac Center who are involved in this stuff favor smooth tax codes, which without a lot of bumps, you know, ins and outs. And the reason is because complexity is a tax. And it is also uh, it. If you do a lot of ins and outs in a tax code, whether it's property tax, sales tax, or income tax, 
you wind up influencing behavior in, in ways that you may or may not uh, understand, uh, may or may not be desirable, and may or may not be appropriate for the government. So I guess the question is, should we prefer, uh, should we prefer to tax income that's being earned in a given year or, or uh, only, or should we tax all income, you know, more or less the same? And, uh, I, you know, I guess I would, I would have to, to look at the details of a proposal. I understand, especially if, uh, if a worker had an understanding when they, you know, when they entered into a collective bargaining deal, when their bargaining unit did, uh, that the pension would not be taxed. I understand that that's a different, I mean, that's an interest based on kind of, you know, understanding and reliance, mm-hmm. um, not, not necessarily what the best policy would be in a vacuum. So I, I you know, it's, I guess if she proposes cutting a, a tax, obviously that would be kind of a, an interesting thing to have happen from her. I don't think that she's generally somebody who worries a whole lot about the tax burden on the, on the average taxpayer. So of course I'll look at it with an open mind, but you know, there are reasons to say that it's, it might be kind of a demagogic approach from her. And and this is, uh, choices are made, right? And and so the governor is saying, perhaps we should use some of this. She's saying we could do this because we have the surplus, right? We, We can perhaps take away this quote unquote pension tax because we have the surplus. Yet she argues against and has argued against the idea of of, of, of broader school choice because uh, and, and the tax credit scholarship program that's sort of being being talked about in the house instead of because we, we can't pay for it we can't we can't afford to do something like that so it, everyone makes choices about how some of that money is going to be perhaps used yeah, utilized absolutely and as you said our revenues are actually above expectation for this year and last year so even with the COVID economy of 2020 being a problem, I guess probably because we rely on sales tax uh, a lot and property tax and property values are up and uh, you know, the, the, for, for whatever stress the economy did go through in 2020 due to government shutdowns and what have you uh, a lot of merchandise has still been moving. You know, everybody's Mm -hmm. been buying more on Amazon than ever or whatever. So uh, the state's revenues are actually not down. I don't, think that the governor's come out and endorsed the there's a bill in the senate to reduce the income tax uh, by a tenth of a percent or something i don't think that she's embraced that Uh, that would reduce taxes on pensioners Mm -hmm. it would reduce taxes on everybody Uh, and i don't i don't think that she's made a move towards that which is again why i say you know i uh, whatever i'll look at it i'm not going to prejudge a policy i haven't seen uh even if it comes from from gretchen whitmer i'll still try to look at it with my you know with my best uh policy analysis hat on, but uh, I guess I'm skeptical that she's actually serious about the policy in this case, and I think that she is just as likely pandering to what she thinks are retirees' votes who will be, you know, they'll be swayed by her making this uh, this pitch, even if it's not good policy. State Representative Andrew Fink with us from Michigan's 58th District. New maps have been released, congressional and House and Senate maps, there is some court action pending. There is much much discussion about especially the Detroit area districts on the congressional side. And, and will we be eliminating uh, seats that are, are historically African-American seats? What's your confidence that what we see now will be the maps we end up voting on? Well, that's a good question. I mean, um, it, there's a so. In, in some cases in other states, I don't think it's ever happened in Michigan. Maybe, I don't know, maybe before you and I were born, Scott, I think maybe we actually did do this once where where the maps were under, uh, you know, new maps were under such um, uh, intense pressure that they wound up 
running another election on the old maps. Mm-hmm. We can't really do that this time because we're losing a Congress, a congressional seat. So we're going from 14 to 13 congressmen uh, from Michigan. And so we have to have a new congressional map or else we're, we're going to be voting on nothing. Um, so that puts, I, I think that that will, will help kind of put everything on a path towards being resolved in plenty of time for the election. I mean, just in plenty of time for the filing deadlines, mm-hmm. right? Like we get, we need to, we, do, we need this to happen. Um, and so I guess my confidence that it's these maps, um, you know, I, I don't, it's not like I have a better idea, right? It's not like I can say, no, it won't be this. It'll be that instead. But I do think that the complaint, uh, filed by, um, the Detroit Democrat, uh, or, um, the Detroit caucus, uh, you know, some of my peers and a, a handful of other groups, you know, I think that, that they're raising real issues. And, and so uh, it's possible that there will be some uh, success in that case. I don't know. I mean, I, and I'm not an election law expert having, having been, a, been an attorney who never did this. I know to say like, I, I really don't know a lot about the ins and outs of all that. Um, but, but it looks like a serious, it looks like a serious issue to me. So I, you know, Again, I, it's not like there's something else that's more likely to happen, but they did diminish the percentage of, I guess the way I would actually look at it is they diminished the percentage of districts that, that are uh, from the city of Detroit itself. Mm-hmm. And so if nothing, I mean, they probably generally use that as a proxy. I mean, you know, Detroit is obviously overwhelmingly African-American, and so it, they probably do use it as a proxy for uh, minority populations, but it also will diminish the power of the city itself. Uh, or at least it stands the, that that chance, and and I think that that it, it in and of itself is a matter of controversy. My own seat, I mean, I, you know, I look at it. My seat is currently Branch County and Hillsdale County, easily the best district in the state. Uh, all that's changing is I'm getting the city of Hudson into my district. So you know, I don't have a personal complaint about this. I think that's that's great. Uh, you know, half the Hudson school districts in Hillsdale County anyway. I mean, it, it, I don't have anything to complain about for my own seat. Uh, but I do think that this, this kind of underscores the, the the ultimate problem of the 2018 voter initiative that gave us the Independent Redistricting Commission is that they sold it as a way to take politics out of politics, and that's never going to happen. Mm-hmm. And uh, politics is the way we kind of do our business together on the most important issues, even at the point of force of the, of the government. So everybody has to care about it. Everybody's got to be involved in it and pretending that it's going to be some kind of a you know, academic or surgical or neutral idea. I mean, that's just not going to happen. Your district, the House district stays essentially the same, but under these maps, the Senate district, the Hillsdale Senate district is actually split yeah. um, essentially in, in half or so. Yeah. Uh, and, and certainly State Senator Mike Shirky, who currently represents the district, is term limited out. So it's going to be new senator and new Senate uh regions for whomever is going to represent this area soon. Yeah. If you look at, at the... Right. So my entire House district currently lies within the 16th Senate district, as does one in, an additional House district and then almost all of another House district. And that's pretty typical. You know, there's usually about three members, maybe, you know, parts of four different House districts within a given Senate district now. And that's because the, the current lines, you know, which were, were drawn by a legislature. Uh, and so you could you could accuse them of you know you you could accuse the 2011 you know uh, Republican legislature of of doing this in a way that benefited Republicans, but you also have to acknowledge now that we've seen what the redistricting commission did, they did it in a way that that acknowledged uh, the value of local governments, you know, kind of constituting what we are now calling communities of interest. Mm-hmm. So 
Uh, if you're a county commissioner right now, you know who to call uh, for for an issue that you think involves the state Senate. Say you were a county commissioner who saw Alyssa Slotkin and you wanted to call your senator and see what's going on with this money she's saying should be appropriate. You know who to call. But uh, as things are going to stand after this round, assuming that these are the maps, uh, all of Branch County and about a quarter of Hillsdale County will be in a district that runs out to Lake Michigan. And the rest of Hillsdale County will be in a district that runs out to Lake Erie. <laughs> Um, so you're just going to have very different districts. And I mean, it, you know, what's Southwest Michigan, a lot of vacation homes, people yes. from Indiana, Illinois, yeah. all that kind of stuff, very different character than essentially Metro Toledo. You know, if you're, if you're somebody who lives in Adrian or Monroe, you're just as likely to go to Toledo for, you know, medical care or a restaurant or whatever, as you are to Detroit. So, uh, it's, it, I don't think it's an ideal situation, uh, to have counties split up the way the Senate district does. And, but it's just one example of many. I mean, I've got colleagues up North who represent four or five counties today who are going to wind up representing parts of six or seven or eight counties. And it's just going to dilute the strength of the communication between local officials and state officials. State representative Andrew Fink with us, 58th district branch in Hillsdale counties here on radio free Hillsdale, 101.7 FM. We're still investigating uh, what we know is wasted money, lost money through the Unemployment Insurance Agency here in Michigan. Six billion, eight billion, ten billion. We're trying to figure out uh, how much, and I guess still trying to figure out why and how it happened. W- what can you tell us? Well, uh, there's a series of different things. I mean, in 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 some cases, there were applicants. I mean, there there always are applicants who who are trying to commit fraud. But because the administration uh, in, you know, the first quarter or second quarter of 2020 decided to reduce its effort to catch fraud in an F, you know, with the idea, I guess, Alyssa Slocking would probably like this to get money out the door as quickly as possible on the theory that people were going to be severely economically disrupted by uh, the COVID-19 shutdowns. they certainly misspent billions of dollars as a result. And, you know, our, I think if I remember the numbers correctly, we had more than $5 billion at the begin in, in our trust fund at the beginning of 2020. Uh, and at the beginning of 2021, we had like less than 500 million. So we, you know, we spent huge amounts of money, some of it inappropriately, some of which could, could have been prevented. In addition to that, people who uh, maybe didn't qualify for relief or as much relief as they wound up getting, were given relief, and I I don't know exactly uh, what the mistake was by the agency that led them to make these miscalculations, but I do know that they knew about it for weeks before they did anything about it, and this would have been about a year ago that they became aware of it, and it was not until you know eight or nine months ago that everybody else became aware of it, and they started asking people to send money back in. Well, if you didn't intentionally defraud the government. Uh, and you collected a few thousand extra dollars in, of unemployment. I mean, there's almost no way anybody has that. Mm-hmm. Now, if, if you were supposed to get ten thousand and you got fifteen thousand, you don't have the extra five thousand just sitting around, right? Right. In in almost any case, so that was completely unreasonable, uh, and it's not right to expect the people to just turn turn around and write a check back to the government for that amount of money. But it does. It, it is additional money that was misappropriated. So the combination of these things, I mean, as I said, there's been there's there's some dispute about exactly how much of it uh, was fraud, how much of it was misappropriated and how much, you know, with the we were just going to have to pay because people were unemployed. Uh, But it appears that the amount wasted is is more than six billion dollars and it might be as much as ten billion dollars. Either way, let's just say it's uh, 
the best case scenario is six thousand or six billion. That's still about ten percent of the money that the state spends in a year, and uh, and more like half of the money that's uh, so-called general fund. Mm-hmm. So it's a very bad circumstance. And in addition to that, I mean, I, a year ago we were trying to put some money using using some of these COVID relief dollars, as they're, as they're called, try to get some money into the program because when the state misappropriated it, when the state misspent it, uh, uh, that results in once the, once the and I don't remember the, the figures off the top of my head here, Scott, but once the fund gets below a certain amount, then the rate that employers are charged increases right. to kind of get the fund back to a healthy amount. Right. Uh, and that's not a, I'm not really saying that that's necessarily a bad system, except that the states who lost the money. So the answer shouldn't have been to turn around and tax the employers, the employers more. Um, if it were normal kind of economic practices, you know, you could understand that that's just the ebb and flow of the thing, but that's not what happened. The state lost a lot of this money. So we tried to put some money into it. The governor vetoed it. You know, I think she now understands that her ignoring that agency for a year was a really bad idea. You know, she obviously one of her hush money deals was with the former director of it. And uh, we had a temporary director most of last year. And now there's a new director. I, um, I don't know if, if that's going to be the improvement or not. But what it really shows is that if you're the governor, you got to, you know, you have to pay attention to the entire administration, not just the parts that you like, mm-hmm. not just the parts that you're excited about, not just the parts that give you power. So uh, that, I think, is the fundamental problem here is that our governor ignored it and you know, when, when the legislature asked the uh, temporary director last year, uh, Rep. Steve Johnson asked this question. I asked this question a few weeks later to see if, if it was any different in, in different committee hearings. Uh, when's the last time you talked to the governor? Well, when, when Rep. Johnson asked that question, the answer had been was like three weeks or something, which seems strange considering that at the time, like over 800,000 Michiganians were on unemployment. When I asked the question later, you know, she was prepared for it. It didn't seem like as uh, as good of a gotcha, but I wasn't trying to get a gotcha. I was trying to find out if anything had changed. And her answer was, I talk to the governor when I need to. That wasn't my point. My point is, does the governor talk to the director of an administration agency that is currently managing, you know, more than three quarters of a million Michiganians on unemployment? And the answer was no. And so, you know, I, I don't want to be cynical about it be great if the governor, you know, what, what do we always say, grows in office hmm. uh, and she starts taking it seriously. But to this point, I don't really think that she understands it. And so I don't think she understands the problem. State Representative Andrew Fink, 58th District Branch in Hillsdale Counties. If people need to get a hold of you or your office, what's the best way to do that? The easiest way is to go to repfink.com. Uh, that will, you know, you can send an email, you can find the phone number there. The phone number is uh, 517-373-1794. Uh, but repfink.com will get you that and, and more. State Representative Andrew Fink, thanks so much for joining us. Thank you, Scott. More of our interviews and conversations on our SoundCloud page. Go to soundcloud.com. Search for WRFH Radio Free Hillsdale. And I'm Scott Bertram on Radio Free Hillsdale 101.7 FM. <laughs>